There's the a jazz pack. rap album that's shelved, apparently. Oh, that's going to be all Ambrose all the time. <laughs> but I don't Are know how I feel about that. you that? I mean, that's my opinion. All Is Ambrose. that just going to be the name of the episode? Oh, yes, all Ambrose all the time? All Ambrose all the time. guys you're listening to drunken uncultured we are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast i'm Lindsay. i'm stephanie and we're here wait what do we do first <laughs> well uh, I mean, should we just do the intro and then the beer because yeah like, let's do the beer i don't know what the hell we're doing i don't now. remember i like we have so many guests on i can never remember yeah, the order okay, and we always talk, change it up oh uh, let's talk about what beer we're drinking first okay. um <laughs> um all right so that I was, still think it makes more sense to introduce the person and then do the beer. Okay, that's fine. Because then you hear I think their, we normally do that. I think so too. I think because you hear their voice and then you're yeah. like, who the fuck is this person? No, I think that's what beer. we normally do. Okay. I don't know why you're so, so confused. <laughs> We're here with our good friend Brian, who joins us for his for first not drinking for sport episode. Yes. So Brian's been so on hello. every drinking <laughs> for sport episode except for one, which is a weird time to not have Brian there. It um, felt very weird it when you were with us. So we're making it up to him by bringing him on and not drinking episode. <laughs> so your average stays the same. Well, I appreciate it. <clears throat> All right, Brian. Um, so we know your name. Oh, yeah. So we already know. We already introduced who you are. Um, so what is your favorite beer, your favorite piece of pop culture, and a weird fact about you? Wait, I don't remember what your answer to any of these uh, is. His favorite beer is hams. Yeah, that hasn't changed. So um, Let me... His favorite piece of pop culture... His... The, it's the ear thing that is... Your weird fact, right? Like, you said something about your ears last time? That's what I said, yeah, because I have, a like, a deformed left ear. <laughs> but, no, my, I guess, pop culture recently is just diving into all this. I got deep down the rabbit hole of Gizlore, so that's <laughs> pop Giz-lore culture. Gizlore sounds like Gizlord, which is, like, definitely a meme thing, right? Like, <laughs> it's gotta be, yeah. yeah. And then, what's your weird fact? Well, you kind of said it. Is it the ear? It's my ear thing, yeah. but I mean, I don't really. I don't have... remember what's wrong with your ear again. It's just the way I was born. Why is your ear weird? What's weird about it? It's it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> like kind of weird. inside out a little bit. You see the other. Uh, you see. The different. Oh, it is different. Yeah. yeah. Wait, let me see. I've... I wouldn't have never. Oh, I, it's one huh. of those things that you never notice until someone points it out. It's though. a very. It's a pain in the ass to, to, to for ear, not just earplugs, but like if I have. That's why I always use over-the-ear headphones, because oh, that's not... That makes like, sense. Yeah. Interesting. I wanted to guess, because we've had you on so many times, and I feel like I was like, I think I... And your your pop culture always changes, because it's... Yeah. You do... You do... You're one of the few people that do, like, a, a relevant, like, or in that moment pop culture, when people... Some people are just like, you know, their favorite mm-hmm. movie, which is fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, before we get into the beer, I mean, that kind of, you kind of hinted at what we're going to talk about today, so we're going to do, finally, a episode in celebration of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, (laughs) the Australian psychedelic rock band. Yes, but first we're going to get into the beer. Yes, so let's talk about the beer, because the beer's a little themey, not intentionally, but I just happen to have this in my fridge. I mean, it kind of looks like one of their covers. I know, that's why I said it's kind of themey, but it, it was just in my fridge. Um, all right, so today we are drinking the Mystic Pale Ale from Mars Brewing here in Chicago. It's big Mars season, I guess, because we did gay IPA recently mm-hmm. as well. We're um, getting back to what, like 2019 when we drank Mars every Mars, year. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so this is a made with Azaka, Cascade, Centennial, and Eldorado hops. This is reminding me of like Polly, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, the artwork. I thought you just like took a sip of the beer and said that. I was like, what? <laughs> was so it transported me. That's a very smooth beer. Very mild flavor, too. It's not like, for all those hops, it's not like blast you in the face. Yeah. Flavoring, which well, is also a nice. pale ale, not strictly an IPA a little bit, which helps. Yeah. Um, I do think that it, this does seem undercarbonated. <laughs> I think this particular batch we yeah. have. Like, even when I was carrying it over, I was like, ooh, I hope these are okay. They taste good. They taste but good, but yeah. It definitely tastes like you're drinking, like, more hot water mm-hmm. than beer. Like, uh, texturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it overall, it's very light. It's bitter, like a true pale ale. It's got like that berryness too. That's I get, kind of like, I get some floral notes. Yeah, it's pretty sessionable. Clocks in at five point five percent. Love that. Love the five point five percent. All right. So uh, three words to describe this beer. I'm gonna say smooth. I was also gonna say smooth. Floral, um, and like maybe crushable. It's pretty. You can drink this pretty. Yeah, quickly. you can. I can, I'm, I'm gonna drink this. That pretty might quickly. be because of the lack of carbonation, where it's not like burning as I oh, go yeah. down. Yeah, <laughs> you know I think I mean? I'm halfway. Down. I'm not getting the fizzies in my belly. <laughs> Brian's in the state where like you and I used to be, where it would take us half of a beer to come up with three words to describe the flavor. What are you gonna say, Brian? No, I agree. It's smooth. Um... I don't know about three words, but... Come up with three words. That, <laughs> that's why it's... <laughs> that's what the challenge is. Right. No. I'll say kind of like the same on what Lindsay said. Chuggable in a different way. Like... Yeah. I, I'm already pretty much done, <laughs> done with halfway. Brian's doing his own power hour. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, just get in I, front of the microphone and it turns into a power hour. Yeah. And, um... It's... Good to look at. The can art is the can art is, yeah. Um I'm gonna say light, hoppy, and floral. Cool. All right, let's get into the episode. So as Stephanie mentioned, we're talking about lizard, lizard, and the lizard, lizard, or gizzard, gizzard, and the gizzard, gizzard, or wizard, wizard, and the wizard, wizard, <laughs> King Gizzy and the Lizzy Wizzy, as I like to call them. Yeah, that's sure. <laughs> um, so, Stephanie, take us through the Wikipedia page. <laughs> that is, that's, that's typically how this goes, isn't it? Are you just going <laughs> to read? She's going to read the entire history for 20 minutes. Um, no, we'll just talk through a little bit about the band. So, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are a psychedelic rock band from Melbourne, Australia. Australia. Formed in 2011. 10, 11, That's approximately. That's remember from the Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, sometime late 2010, early 2011. It's hard to say exactly. Yeah. Um, their debut album came out in 2012. And to this day, they have released 24 studio albums, 15 live albums, five compilations, three EPs, and a singular remix album, not including all the bootlegs. Yeah, so... They oh, have, like, the, the biggest fucking discography ever. Um, Matt actually compared them to the Fish discography because he was curious. They're about halfway there. Uh, so they, I think... Fish has been around a lot well, longer, Fish, though. they have as many, like, original songs as Fish, from what I understand, like, mm-hmm. close to the same in Ember. Um, but Fish has, like, covers in their repertoire that obviously oh, sure. King Gizzard doesn't do. 
So they have about as many songs that they can play at any given moment. It's like 230 songs that they could play That's at any given moment. insane. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's insane. When you think about artists that go on stage and, like, they can't remember the lyrics of their songs, and these guys are singing about nonsense. But they also just choose not to play certain songs. Well, that's yeah, other, like that's true. That's, that's one of the other like things that King Gizzard has kind of become known for is like their live show experience. They have a rule that, and I don't know when this started, but if they're playing the same city multiple nights, there will be no repeat songs. Yes. Um, no official repeats. Correct. So they'll tease. Yeah, I've so only they, seen them do that the one time. They so. can tease a show, a song one night, and then they could play it in full the next right, night. Right, they're and not going to play the entire exactly. Of songs. Yeah. But to go back to that, so they started out as a jam band. They Pretty were much, yeah. they were really just jamming with each other and decided to start making music. Um, that's kind of how they started to record music later on. So a lot of the newer albums, like um, Ice Death, I think uh, Petro Dragon, things like that, have been conceptualized and recorded as a jam session so they what's I think kind of notable is that they get together in the studio and they just sit there playing and they record it and then Stu like cuts pieces together um, Stu is like the main guitarist basically like the forefront guy yeah. of the band he kind of manages all of the music that's coming out yeah so they cut it all together or he cuts it all together and then they conceptualizes a song from yeah. the, their sessions together and then they record that so I read that the one thing they do is they kind of have like a concept sometimes when they sit down to jam, and that's why they we talked in the last episode right. or whatever about the concept albums and how King Gizzard has so right. many, because so, they kind of will like sit down with a concept, play what they think feels right, right. and then ki- kind of And that's together. kind of what happened with Ice Death. So my understanding is they had the names of, they had the name of the album, they had the names of the songs, and then they went into the album knowing what they wanted to like... Do. Do. Yeah. yeah, but Ice Death in general, just out of a lot of, most of their albums, feels like the most jammy. Oh, great. I mean, yeah, like, I would not, say that's fair. Yeah, compared to like, you know. Which is interesting, because they do have like, saw, uh, or albums that are jammy, like, um, the newest album, Petro Dragon, I think it's a double LP, but there's like eight songs. So like, each song is eight or nine minutes long. <laughs> and it doesn't feel jammy, because it's a very different genre. Right. Of jam, I guess, which I think is interesting. So the thing with the jam, with them be starting out as a jam band, that's really interesting. So obviously they kind of were just hanging out jamming and that was how the band started. And they were asked to play a last minute show and they didn't have a band name. And so Stu had suggested calling the name, the band Gizzard Gizzard. And then um, the rest of the guys actually wanted to call the album Lizard King, which was like a, in reference to Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. And so they compromised with King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And there we go. So he wanted to name it Lizard Lizard? Gizzard Gizzard. And Lizard King. Correct. Where did the wizard come from? I don't know. Just a rhyme? I guess, yeah. Well, I'm glad they didn't name themselves Gizzard Gizzard because I don't It's not know. as good. <laughs> no, it's not as good. Neither is Lizard King. Yeah, no. I feel like the way that their name is now kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. yeah. Like, nicely. Um, the name, I think, itself is so funny. because The name is iconic. You'll say that name and people will be like, that aren't familiar. Like, I'm sorry, what did you just say <laughs> Still, to me? Do that yeah. meme, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. Like, I told people at work I was going to see King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard for three nights and they were just like, what music is that? And I was like, honestly, do you have an hour? 
Um, right. I get my coworkers regularly say that I just make up the band name for the shows that I'm going to, like the shirts that I'm wearing. Like I wore a Viagra Boys shirt to work yeah. one day, and they're like, "That's not a real band." Yes, it is. And then I was like. I said I was going to see King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They were like, okay, that's definitely made up. <laughs> no, I feel like I heard that when I was, I'm in my office and Rachel's office is next to mine. And it's the day after we saw like, yeah. King Gizzard and uh, she like was talking. She's like, I went to a concert yesterday. And the coworker's like, who'd you see? And she's like, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. They're like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Well, it's funny because when I when I say to people I went to a concert at this point now they're kind of expecting that but like when I first started working at the company I work at they were like oh what like pop your artists are you gonna see because like they would go that's like who they go yeah. see and you know we all go to very obscure like band not even very obscure but like we go to a lot of shows so it's like you know most of the time people haven't heard of them right. Regular, like, regular workers yeah. haven't heard of them. Yeah, so when I was like, I'm going to the King Gizzard and the Lizard for three nights, they were just like, for three nights? <laughs> <laughs> it's here that are like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see Viagra Boys. Uh, <laughs> I, so when I first started at my current job, because I don't have a dress code at work and I just wear whatever yeah. I want, I just started wearing the most chaotic band shirts that I had after the Viagra Boys shirt incident. Mm-hmm. So like I wore my Spirit of the Beehive shirt, like people are like, Stephanie, you are out of control. You go to the bar in my black mini Waffle House shirt and see what happens. <laughs> At this point, I think everyone just ignores me. They would just be like, what? what? That's Waffle House. I think everyone just ignores me at this point. Um, okay, so let's get into some... Are, are you done um, with the history? Or? Well, so I think one other important thing to note is so, like, King Gizzard, like, their albums are not necessarily all the same style of psychedelic yeah. rock. They've done... Or even psychedelic rock at all. In general, yeah. Like so they've done, they've some, done some more prog rock. Some they've done synth pop. I, I think at this point microtone. you're better off saying like what they, what haven't. they haven't covered. <laughs> they haven't much. done. They haven't done a rap album. And they well, they have done a rap song or no, right? It's a, not like, a whole a, album. A specific... They've not done a country focused album. Um, they've done some blues. Like yeah, they've blues. done they've blues. Done they a, do a lot of like western. jazz fusion. Yeah. They have the western album. They have not done a ska album, and apparently Joey wants to. I want Joey to do a ska I do album. Too. Trust me, I do too. So let's talk. We're we're kind of talking about the live shows already. Let's talk about, um, you know, what was your first shows and. What was the, the experience like the first time you saw King Gizzard? I think my... And how long have you been listening to them? Like, Okay, let's start with that. Okay. Um, I think I'm probably like the last one of the three of us to get ex- really like exposed yeah. and into Giz. Um, I had known who they were and I had, I, I had probably heard like some of the stuff off of Nanagon or like yeah. Rattlesnake or something like that at like a before. But the first time I really remember like listening to them and being like, damn, I really like this band was when Fishing for Fishies dropped. In twenty nineteen. Okay. That's the first time I remember like be getting into them and that's when I would say I started listening because that's I was gonna guess that was your favorite album because I already know yours is Rats Nest, but I knew My you... favorite album is Fishing for Fishies. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah. Um, okay, so you got into them in 2019-ish, but we'll I've never got that. them before. Yeah. Brian, I think you've I've been, been on Reddit maybe longer than I have, or as long? 2015. So, Paper Mache Dream Balloon is my introduction yeah. to King Gizzard. Um, and then I saw them in 2017. 
Um, but yeah, I've been I've been listening to them since yeah twenty around twenty fifteen. Um, I think about the same. So I knew about them around twenty fourteen. I think that's when my brother in law started listening to them, and he introduced me to them. And but Paper Mache Dream Bloom is also the first one that I listened to, which is I think an interesting album choice. Well, it also with. I feel like at least on my in my sense I was I follow like. Um, at that point, I was like a lot. I got a lot of my music from like Anthony Fantano. Yeah, yeah. And he had, like reviewed that album, and then I just listened to it. I used to like he gave like a good score, so I I, I just put it on. I liked it. Yeah. And then I just was like, all right, I'll just follow this band. And then, like, yeah. Then they came out with Nanagon, and it just totally sounded different. I'm like, it was just com- kind of confused by the band, but still intrigued. So I still kept on listening to them. Yeah, when so was the first think, time you saw them? Um, well, let me just say this. I think oh. I, I probably, I'd listened to them before, like, probably 2013, 2014, but, like, not ever, like, actively been, like, I'm going to listen to King Gizzard. Sure. You know, like, yeah. so my brother-in-law would play them, and I'd be like, oh, this is cool, but never really, like, got very into King Gizzard until mm-hmm. about um, Paper Mache Dream Balloon, which I think is interesting, because, like, I'm in Your Mind Fuzz is a fantastic album. Oh, For yeah. some reason, I didn't really yeah. get into that until after, like, Paper Mache, and then I got into mind fuzz so to go back to that been listening since 2015 my first gift show was 2022 my first gift show was also 2022 um i don't know why though like you and i had tickets for the 2020 show that got postponed that's true. and that's postponed true. again that's true to 2020 that, that show didn't even happen until yeah and i mean the the red rock show i ended up going to was, was postponed. postponed for two years yeah um yeah i don't know why i never seen them before though because like matt saw them at sub t back in the day um, granted, I don't think I lived in Chicago when you saw them at Sub-T in, like, 2014 or 2015. I think you said it was 15, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was just surprised I never had gone to see them, because they also went to see them at, like, The Rip or something like that, or The Aragon, I can't remember. But what? I think also it wasn't, like, following them for shows, you know? It was, like, things, like, something I put on, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something I was, like, I don't know, seeking out at the time. Yeah. Until about 2019, 2020 was when I got, like, I think what's when we both got, like, really, really into them, like, Infest the Rat's Nest era. I would say after Infest the Rat's Nest came out, I really, like, went back and was, like, listening yeah. more. And I listened to them, but I, yeah, 2019 is when I yeah. really, really got, like, became a, a what do they call them, giz heads? <laughs> giz lords? It's a, probably a giz head, I'm assuming. <laughs> a gizzer? A glizzy. A glizzy. That's just a hot dog. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We're just making up. Oh, sorry. But. Um, okay, so that was everyone's first experience seeing them. What was your favorite? And what's your favorite song to see live? Oh, to see live? <laughs> Probably, and this is like just trivia, every time I've seen them, they played The River. Yes. So probably every, I would say The River is probably... One of my favorite songs because every time that's I, my uh, I, I, stop and use the restroom. And that's that's awesome. it is, <laughs> but it's also I love it because it's different every time. That's fair. Yeah. And well, because that's one of the songs they jam out and they like yeah. tease a lot. During, yeah, yeah, but besides that, I would also have to say like uh, Trapdoor. Mm. Trapdoor is fun. To that's see live. fun live. <laughs> nice I think fun my live. favorite song to see live, and I think it's like. Because I've seen them do, like, the residencies a couple of times now, I think if you get to see this song, like, it's like everyone loses their fucking mind, and it's Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake. Yeah. There's something <laughs> about seeing Rattlesnake Well, live. I think it's funny. So, the, 
I've seen it live the two times I've, I've seen, seen it. Two I've times seen now. it twice. Yeah, um, and I agree with you. Everyone does go crazy, but also I think it's funny because I feel like every time they play Rattlesnake, I hear someone in the crowd being like, "Have you heard the song Rattlesnake?" <laughs> and then that's the day they play it. Yeah. No, actually, that's another one. I've, I've every time I've seen them, they played Rattlesnake. Yeah, so. Rattlesnake is really fun. Musical genius rhyming Rattlesnake with Rattlesnake. <laughs> um, my favorite song live, and I've only seen it the one time. But it's hell, which is like I've one of seen my, them do hell, and it's one of my favorite songs. But it's just so. They didn't much play fun. hell at the Chicago residency at all. I said they didn't do it either night I went. No, no, yeah. they did like Mars for the. They did Mars for the Rich, Rich when we went. They weren't. He- they weren't heavy on. Infest, no, the and rats I think, but they were also teasing the newest album. Well, they played a song from the newest album every night. night yeah, two. I think they basically played the entire the entire new album except for like. One except for Dragon, I think is the only song they didn't play. Dragon wow. and Flamethrower are the two that have not been played. And um, they would kind of intro, like tease up the thrash part with mm-hmm. an um, Infest the Rats Nest song, but like they only play like one a night, I think. Yeah. I will say when they did uh, Gila Monster and they opened night three with that, the crowd. Dude, it was, was crazy. fun because they say Gila instead of Gila. And the entire and the whole crowd goes Gila. Gila. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, full time. <laughs> it's so funny that they all say Gila. Um, okay, so that's your favorite song live. What's your favorite song? Period. Boogeyman Sam. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I started screaming when they played it. Everybody screamed when they played. Every girl in the crowd. Was I think it was just you, me, and our friend Kim. <laughs> I heard a lot of people oh, freaking out. Because Kim just like turns around and looks at me and starts screaming in my face. What's your favorite song? I know there's a 200 plus of them. Yeah. yeah. I know. Um, uh, it's kind of hard, but I, I'd have to go something off of Nonagon like um, Robot Stop. or That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's that's probably it. I mean, I love that album, so and that mm-hmm. one always brings me back to like Probably, like, to, like, one of my, like, when I actually was like, oh, okay, this is a band that I'm mm-hmm. going to actually keep on following. Yeah. Because, like, Paper Mache introduced me to the band, and I, I love Paper Mache. Like, Trapdoor, mm-hmm. probably off of that. It's one of my favorites off of that. But, yeah, once I heard Nonagon, I was, like, kind of, like, solidified, like, I'm going to follow this yeah. band. So. Um, I think my favorite song is Crumbling Castles. That song's just a lot of fun. That's also a really good one. Um... Yeah, it'd be sick to see live. I'm trying to think. I don't think they did that either of the nights I saw them in Spain. Because I saw them in Barcelona last year when they did five nights in a row. I think that's the longest residency they've done in recent years. Um, And to have five totally different sets, I think is just like mind-boggling to be able to do that. Um, So I kind of wanted to go into the, the band a little bit more than we have. So, we've talked about how many genres that they've done, and I think what's interesting that we haven't touched on with that is, in it, to be able to do all of these genres, it obviously requires that they're all pretty much multi-instrumentalists. And so, like, everybody, except, I mean, I guess oh, except for the... Oh, they did. They opened with Crumbling Castle when I saw them in one of the shows I was at. Sorry. <laughs> I okay. was looking at the set list. Um, <laughs> they, they all have to play multiple instruments, except oh, yeah. for the drummer who just... The drummer just drums. He has a lot to do on he the He does drums, have a lot though. to do. And he has, like, some really cool things. Like, in um, Petro Dragon, 
he does some like Tool style mm-hmm. drumming, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. Everyone's comparing that album to Tool right now on the right. I mean, page. there's a lot of like heavy, well, yeah, heavy, heavy Tool influence. It's, in yeah, it's influence from that. That's yeah. their Tool era mm-hmm. album. Well, it's also it's <laughs> like a it's like era. yeah it's like a mix. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but everyone's kind of a multi instrumentalist. So there's um, Stu who's playing guitar, singing, flute, flute. flute yeah. He's playing um, like synth sometimes, keys mm-hmm. sometimes. Joey's doing guitar, um, synth, keys, other things. Um, I in one in um, Butterfly Two Thousand when he played uh, when they played Shanghai, he was like doing the knobbies. Ah, yes. The knobbies. The he's technical like, turns. Doing, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're called, but he's doing the little knobby turns. And then there's Ambrose who plays every other instrument. <laughs> Literally every instrument. Um, Bob and I would refer to him do it as doing the most and the least all at the same time. Everything and nothing all at once. Um, which is like, I think the most apt description is he's just like sitting there, running around, playing different instruments, putting them down, playing other instruments. Yeah. Rapping every now and then, being a little goblin. <laughs> um, and the bassist plays bass and I think he does a couple other things. Is that um, cookie? Yeah, yeah, so they all I do... Think, I think Cookie's the basis, right? They all do quite a lot. Okay. Um, and something that we joke about, I think, as a group is, like, you know, our favorite Giz members. And Lucas also I, plays bass sometimes. Um, every time I see them, I feel like Joey, the other guitarist, who is, I guess, Stu's brother-in-law, um, moves up higher I thought and higher Joey was dating Ambrose's sister. No, I think Stu's married to Joey's sister. Oh, and then Joey's dating Amp. That's that's, that's a thing. That's I, not a thing. I, it was. I think you just made this up. No, <laughs> I think you just made this I, up. This wasn't a thing I read. <laughs> I don't know if they're currently dating, but they were at some point. Um, I think this is made up, but I'm pretty sure Stu's married to Joey's sister. Um, but Joey like moves up and higher and higher in my list. I feel like every time I see them, because he's so like. I don't know, I feel like he, he does a lot that you don't realize that he does. Like, he sings a lot. He says nuclear fusion sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Not in Chicago, though. No. Um, it was funny, because at the Red Rock show, he said, he was nuclear fusion. <laughs> and he's like, what, you thought only Stu could do it? <laughs> at the end of the song. <clears throat> so your your vote is for Joey? Is... Oh, no, my favorite's Ambrose. My favorite's Ambrose. Oh, it's like Joey, but then, like, literally... A mile away, it's Ambrose. Like, there's no way anyone's gonna get close to Ambrose. Why Ambrose? Because um, he's one, doing because everything he, and nothing all at once. Because he's a little gremlin, and I think that's adorable. And then he dances around during the thrash slam season. Yeah, he's nothing to do. He just kind of dances. He plays the key sometimes, and then he like shakes things. Um, and I mean, he does look like a gremlin, kind of. Well, when he like when he walks around, he has his own song. Like so, in um, the beginning of Dripping Tap, yeah. he's like he's dancing like, he's around, like, dancing around like a little gremlin because he's yeah. like walking around like this. This is the only time to be in the front of the stage, so he was like running around. And I also like Ambrose's voice better. I think like his whatever he modifies his voice with, I I absolutely love. Like I love the Murlocs. I I think. I have a controversial opinion about the Murlocs that makes Matt angry. Like, I love... Do you it. like them more than Giz? I like Call Me a Farm by the Murlocs better than any Giz album. It's fine. Um, but that's also because I love Ambrose so yeah. much. Um, Is that the new one? Okay. And I, I like him because I think he does so much. He's extremely talented. And also, like, you know, Stu's the obvious favorite, but then there's a little... A little <laughs> Sweet Baby Ambrose, as I call him. <laughs> Sweet Baby Ambie. Yeah, I mean... I was, like you said, I was probably going to say Stu, but just because of 
everything that he puts into the songs for uh, no, I mean, is. He definitely does the best. And the, he is, and, he and is, the Mongolian He is the lizard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or no, he's King Gizzard. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But like some of those like Mon- is like just like the, the Mongolian throat. Yeah. Throat. yeah that is like, really impressive. That's, yeah. Because like the only other time I can think of like seeing that live is that band The Who. Yeah. And so like that's what I always think of. Right. But like Stu doesn't do. Yeah. I mean Stu was obviously the most important member of the band. But my favorite is Am- Am- Sweet Baby Andy. Uh, I did want to talk about... Ooh, that's sour. And we're like, I'll jump it all around and then this is in order, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. Let's talk... Um, just So we're talking about the uh, the, the members of the band. Re- like, we, we didn't get Stephanie's like favorite uh, member. I said it like it's six same? times. Yes, you, Ambrose. You guys are both. Yeah, it's yes. Ambrose. All we, Ambrose. Sh- we share a singular brain cell here. Of course, <laughs> it's Ambrose. Um, I do want to talk about Stu really quickly. So we talked about how the whole band is kind of like his thing, and he's like the main driver. I feel like yeah. Um, him and Joey, I think like, specifically, are they're like the big writers of the band. So like, they think they spend a lot of time together jamming. But I read this interview, and I can't remember where it was. Um, it was after Desert Days, and Stu does like this long interview talking about. And it, it kind of covers this, and it was really This was like Desert Days last year? Yeah. Okay. Um, it talks about how he, like, crowd surfed into the ocean to play. And he talks about how he's done that, like, quite a bit. So the first time he did it, I think, was in Italy, to, into Lake Cuomo, maybe? I don't know where it was, um, but he did it in Italy, and that and was, like, the start of it. He, and he's been doing it since. He um, did it, um, the most, like, extreme one was he was in the UK in Brighton, yeah. and I don't know what venue it was, but it's, like, right on the water, right. and so they yeah. basically, mid-set, crowd-surfed only Stu out of the venue into the English Channel, well, it, it's and like then more he got back on stage. Because he said that they crowd-surfed him over train tracks, around the corner and down the street. <laughs> Which is like just imagine. That's seeing, like a process. It's like people just carrying him at that point. Um, but they did that. And people that's, left the venue. I guess so. <laughs> but that's that's what he described it as. Um, as over some train. He said it was the most reckless version of what he. Of they did. Served. The article I found is from 2017. That said he did eight. They did eight sold out nights in a row at the same venue. Okay. When this was one of those nights. Yeah. Damn, they got eight shows. That's crazy. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Damn. In 2017? So, that was just a fun fact I wanted Right, to in 2017, about. too. Yeah, that's like, literally, when they were at, like, releasing... Becoming huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really interesting to- like thing to talk about, though, is, like, how quickly... Or, not, I guess not how quickly, but how big they've become. Like, I feel like in 2017, they were still kind of, like, on their rise, and... You know, all, like, their their crowd base is changing, I think, very quickly. Because it used to be, like, kind of more heavy music, more metal music that they were doing. And then they started to become more of a jam band. And they started to, like, unlock the fish, the goose, the git, uh, the dead. <laughs> the giz. <laughs> this, whenever this photo pops up, I just fucking lose it. I was, yeah, um, those faces. But... The Grateful Dead fan base. And I think it's, it's interesting because, like, you know... I saw Wooks at the show. Oh, there were absolutely Wooks It was kind of crazy to see that, you know? Like, they're not, like, that kind of band, but they're becoming that kind of band. Well, I do feel like 2017 was, like, a pivotal year for them because of the... They released the four albums in that year, but it's, like, that was... They were gaining traction. I think what set them off, like, 
to get more recognized is probably Nonagon. Yeah. And then once 2017, like, rolled around and they released all those albums, that's kind of like when I feel like they gained a lot of followers, mm-hmm. like, during that era. Yeah. I think that's that kind of brings us to, like, the Giz lore-ish part of this, where, like, yeah, they released four albums in one year, so it was five albums in one year. Nonagon, was it Nonagon? No, 12... No, so 2017, Nonagon was 2016, uh, and then you have uh, Flying, Microtonal, Banana, and 2017 was the first one, then Murder of the Universe, yep. and Sketches, and Polygon, Polygon Land and Gumboat. Gumboot. Yeah. Gumboot, yeah. Um, and the initial, what I think was fun about that is like the initial album they wanted to release during that was Changes, which didn't come out for another five Years? Changes came yeah, out twenty twenty two, so that's five, five years. years. Yeah. Um. So there was that five album in one year situation, and then you said, I think, uh, while you were looking at this, the only year they released one album was in twenty twenty. Yeah. Right. Was this? That was KG. KG. Yeah. yeah. So then, where is AT? Where is it? Yeah. But I also think it's interesting because they didn't release any albums in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I think they took a, a slight break. Well, probably. Five, yeah, they probably yeah. Did that. So they did five albums in one year, but then they uh, they kind of topped that last year with the three albums in one, one month. month, where they did. Um, you mean Giztober? Get that's exactly what it was. That's what it's called. Wait, what, were yeah. the Red Rocks shows in October as well? They were. They were. Yeah, that was a big old Giztober. Well, well, Damn, it was, and it was interesting because they like released an album right before it, and then I think like they l- did two albums well, in, like five. Days. Lemonade and Denim hadn't come out yet, but it was interesting because at the Giz show you could buy all of them. Yeah. All the well, they were playing. They were playing Lemonade right at the show. at the marathon sets, mm-hmm. but you couldn't. And they hadn't released them, but you could buy the albums that hadn't mm. been released mm-hmm. yet. So, like, you could buy Laminated Denim that wasn't officially out, but they gave you, like, the preview of it. Sure. Because um, Laminated De- Denim and Time Land are both, like, the the, the 15 hour, 15 minute 15 break, <laughs> break songs that they play. Yeah. Um, oh, They apparently sometimes play them live. I've never seen that, but... They, they, play, they play the second song off of um, Laminated Denim live. Okay. But they haven't played the first song yet. Got it. So yeah, between the sets, they just play that like while they're peeing or whatever. They do. Yeah. Getting water. Hanging out. <laughs> giving each other high fives. Yeah, but... You, I mean, you brought up the lore. That's mainly focused around kind of like the... Starting with kind of... This is your Can moment. you explain what you did in preparation for this episode? To yeah. prepare specifically to talk about the lore? Well, I kind of just started off going on Reddit, and then I kind of went down a rabbit hole because I was suggested to go to YouTube to lore videos, which <laughs> apparently there's a lot of uh, King Gizzard lore videos. <laughs> and I went to one specific one, which was a series of oh eight videos. Um, Did you watch all eight? I didn't How get. I didn't videos? get through all eight because the last one of the last ones was like over an hour long. How long were the other ones? Like they averaged around twenty minutes. So I don't think I could. Outside of the last one, if they averaged around twenty minutes, and you watch seven of them, you spend about two hours of your life. Yeah, just, just watching just this series. <laughs> Pretty much good for you. It was interesting though, like tr- trying to figure out. How high were you? <laughs> I actually wasn't high. Damn. Uh, uh, you should have been. <laughs> yeah. I probably should have been, but 
Um, <laughs> I would have been like, oh my god, oh my god. You would have been like that sober, Lindsay. <laughs> That's true. I do go on look at like deep, deep black holes. So the main thing that I took out of like the lore was that it's mainly centered around Hantayumi, which you the all Gizverse, you all know. If you will. Yeah, the Gizverse uh, is centered around him because a lot of like the events and different albums happen because of yeah. him or around him. around him. Yeah. Can you give us a little background on who Han Taimi is for those that don't know? Well, he is a human cyborg. <laughs> so he was a human. He was a human. Um, and now he's a cyborg. And yes. now he's a cyborg. He was completely replaced by cyborg parts. Pretty much, except for like the brain, right? Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, no, it... That is who Hantayumi is. We're we're really introduced to who he actually is in Murder of the Universe. Like he has his whole like pretty much his own section on that. Um, but yeah, no, there's some pretty wild stuff that like people have come up with. And I kind of wanted to read a little bit of it, uh, just kind of like where some of they think some of the lore starts. And this is where I said it started with like Infesta Rasnas. I'm going to read now kind of where the lore... You're going to read from the book of the lore? Yeah, from the book of the lore. From the book of the lore. <laughs> the lore. <laughs> so, it begins with, Infest begins with a ravaged earth filled with the poor. There are early, there are early attempts at cy- cyborgifying organ farmer, an escape mission for a new world, Venus, and possibly immortality is started called Venusian One. They change courses and crash into the sun, perihelion. Venusian too makes its makes it to Venus, but kill themselves in order to take the river to hell. Self emulation and hell. The songs. So I oh, did. So you're talking about infest the rat's nest. Got yes. it. Okay. Which in this timeline is this the beginning? The rat's nest is the beginning of everything. Well, it's the beginning of the end. Well, it's the beginning of the of entire Gizlord. The timeline. Yes, yes, yes. And that's like they start off. I guess their timeline with. The world ending. Like, we've destroyed the world and... I mean... Trying to escape We interpret the timeline to say that. They did not release that album first. That album came out 2019. (laughs) Right. No, you... That... I'm just saying that this is how it's interpreted and how the lore is, you know, with the timeline and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... After that, the next one is the... It follows the travelers of Venusian 2 as they take the river to hell... Polygonawana land. Upon arrival at the castle, aka Hell's Entrance, the travelers see men with heads below their shoulders and mesmerized, castle in the air. After opening Hell, they watch as the human race almost goes extinct, crumbling castle. The Lord of Lightning takes over, and a group of survivors raise an army to oppose him in her cell. The army is wiped almost completely, leaving survivors permanently burned from lightning horology. At the end of Horology, we hear of the weary traveler who has his eyes gouged and his and is actually Hantayumi pre-cyborg, plus the recantant raconteur. A glassy-eyed man told him about tetrachromacy, which is the ability to see the fourth color, something the Lord of Lightning also has. The traveler gains the ability and essentially becomes a god, which is what that album is about. That's a lot. 
This whole thing, I think, is just so crazy because I guarantee not that much thought was put into it. There's not, like, some secretive timeline. Literally, it's just people putting it together. Literally, the band members aren't putting this out. This is just, they're fucking fans that are just like, all right, this is, they, they take pieces of what the songs are about, which technically they are connected in some way, but they're just build, building it out because not everything I'm reading here is not like, all right, this is 100% oh, yeah. like what, you know, they're going for, Ken Gizzard's And I think for. this goes to show you that, like, the f- fan base is so into this shit that they're putting together their own timelines of what's going on and, like, interpreting it like it's a fucking Bible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the timeline is just one part of it, but yeah, it's it's a lot of like... What other lore you got for us? <laughs> I mean, like I said, reading that, it's like, like I said before, it's just a lot of different like images, mostly like a lot of their albums. It's it's literally about the apocalypse, is, yeah. what, is what we've said, and that's what I feel like a lot of them focus on, and the coming of the apocalypse, mainly because of different things that we've done to the world a lot of it's reflective on how we're treating our own world yeah and pretty much kind of like with those some of the themes off of like fishies too that one i think is the most obvious about like critiquing the environment and like the treatment of the environment well like i said before i I mean i'm not sure if stew is i'm pretty sure he's either vegetarian or vegan but he, he puts some of his you know uh his thoughts into that yeah. to, to formulate like fishing for fishies. Like you hear the lyrics for that song. Oh yeah. A lot of it. It's based off. I what, mean, plastic like, boogie is very that, obvious too. That too. But yeah. So in 2017, um, Stu actually said in an interview that the band's releases are all connected and that they all exist within a parallel universe and they may be from different times and different places, but they can all coexist in a meaningful way. Right. I've I've heard that and at the same time it's it just makes things even more wild because he's basically saying that there's technically there could be like a multiverse inside of like the Gizverse. It's the multiverse of the Gizverse. Yeah, pretty much. Somebody call up uh, Sam Raimi and make a movie about it. Cuz technically if you even think about that cuz like murder of the universe technically mm-hmm. we're already witnessing the murder of a universe. Yeah. So technically, there's a different. It's we're we're still taking place in a different timeline as well, or in a different universe. So. Um, the second drummer, Eric, that used to be in the band, said that um, prior to the band's formation, they decided how the entire story is going to end. Well, did they take like a pause on it? Because like I said, I don't know. Lately. At Eric's least, not in the band anymore. I know I Eric's know. not in the band, but a lot of the stuff, even, I guess though, and that brings me to like, kind of like their newest album, PDA. Um, <laughs> that's how we shorten it on no, Reddit? I get it. Yeah, I that's how they shorten I've never, it. I've never thought of it. Wait, can yeah. someone tell, what is the full Petro Draconic <laughs> Apocalypse or the dawn of something, something, something. Or the something. dawn of these nuts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. <laughs> Or dawn of eternal night, colon, an annihilation of planet Earth and the beginning of merciless damnation. Yeah, but... Why is that the long... So, they've said the that this album is the one where, they wa- where we watch it all burn down. So, I kind of wanted to continue a little bit. <laughs> so, 
So shut the fuck up, guys. I'm with, talking. With the lore. Let's go with the I lore. I do want to interrupt real quick about the lore. Um, it, it's about the lore. So you talked about how like there's parallel universes, and I think it makes sense. Sorry, I had to like go do a work thing real quick, because I had to walk away for a second. Um, they, it's interesting, because I think there's there's albums that contradict each other, especially around Han Tayumi, which either indicate that like Han Tayumi is a unreliable narrator, because, you know, they talk about, there's an episode where, or there's a song where, sorry, there's a song where <laughs> he's becoming a cyborg when humans are extinct as, like, a way to, like, create human-cyborg combinations for humans to continue on, but then he also exists as a cyborg in, like, Gumboot, I think, and, like, he's talking about humans existing, but he's already a cyborg, so, like, there's... There's some kind of like complicated storyline. Does he sh- does he show up in Gumboot? It's either I can't remember if it's Gumboot. No, I, he shows up in sketches. Maybe that's what it so is. So that's why I was trying to continue on with the lore. Oh, sorry. So I, I I stopped. <laughs> I stopped at Polly. Okay. And now we're at Fishies. Is is pretty much the next step after the gates of hell are opened. So Han Tayumi is fishing and slowly begins to see that humanity is a problem. Fishing for fishies. Meets Boogeyman Sam on the way to PGDWL, which you know what that is. Decides humanity is a problem. Boogeyman Sam. Boogeyman Sam is turned into a cyborg by Han Tayumi. And Sam hates him because he's still depressed despite immortality. Okay, so it is sketches where he talks to like women. Yeah. He talks to a man and a woman. He basically is saying he's like uh, they're asking. Oh, he's like, do you believe like in a god or pretty much like he's right. he's like gaining followers, or, right? Like, but Han Tayumi was supposed to have been the last human born, and so that's where it gets kind of like they maybe didn't fully think this through at the time because he was, or they didn't think any of it through because it doesn't matter. I mean, if you see some of the interviews, <laughs> Stu is like whatever. He doesn't really care. Like it's it's kind of it's a lot of this like throwing. Like shit on a wall. Like it's not. Well, it's definitely like people just like sometimes a red door is a door. Is <laughs> just a red door. The curtains are just the curtains. Yeah, like people are just making connections. The green light on the other side of the water is just a yeah. lamp. <laughs> I'm just saying the one thing that holds all this together, and the one thing they keep on bringing back up is Han Tayumi. He hasn't been brought up in a while. Yeah, but he was like the main. Is the last time they brought him up fishing for fishies, or has he has he come back since then? I think fishies was was the last time. Wait, so can we talk about the end of fishies? Because this was like bananas to me. We were talking about side boogie. Yeah, so it's like if you play side boogie uh, backwards, apparently it's got like satanic messaging. And then someone on Reddit was like, "See, my grandma was right. <laughs> if you play the music backwards, there is a satanic message." Right, and that's I like I said that that was part. I wouldn't have known of that if I didn't go down this whole rabbit yeah, hole and watch these videos because it literally you play it backwards and it's and it's Hantayumi who is saying all these things pretty much to like boogeyman Sam who like I said in the lore is is who has been converted into a cyborg into a cyborg but yeah no it's like I said they obviously had some sort of a plan but not really because yeah. some of it some of it makes sense but some of it completely just is, is out is, there yeah bananas like doesn't make any sense at all but yeah I mean like I said, there's 
there's still people trying to put together everything's about the Gizverse, especially with like this new album like that came out because that one is more of like a apocalyptic kind of straightforward yeah because there is storytelling if you listen to all those songs and like the lyrics there's pretty much a story going on about like and at the end it's like a dragon drinks just like the get the petrol becomes like a flamethrower like basically destroys the earth like it's there's different messaging that you can you can see throughout it but yeah i mean like i said to get into like the the lore it's just like a whole nother thing. All right, any more kids lore? <laughs> well, we just talked about the end of it. We okay. didn't really talk about. It. I mean, well, the end of it as it stands. Now. No, there's still other things to cover, but I stopped at like fishies. Apparently, in the timeline, after fishies comes like Murder of the Universe, and then actually, sorry, no, after fishies comes um, microtonal. Okay. Where it describes the aftermath of the apocalypse and then introduces the idea that a nuke was dropped as part of the apocalypse. Which microtonal? No, Fine, like banana. Oh, banana. Okay. Yeah. Then after that is basically when, um, according to this timeline, robot, so d- robot stop happens. And then human, and then that's when this whole thing with murder of the universe happens where humans begin to convert everyone left into cyborgs mm-hmm. beginning a new age of digital black Hansa I do Yumi, love the song digital black Hantayumi is one of the last to be converted but wait isn't Hantayumi uh didn't they just say he was a cyborg talking to boogeyman Sam at the end of fishies how the <laughs> hell does this come back to the well that's the whole point is like so, it's like grasping because it doesn't all fit right and it says it says Hantayumi is one of the last to be converted but craves the human ability to die and vomit he converts Boogeyman Sam into a soy protein mutt machine. Wait, it's Boogeyman Sam that's a soy protein mutt machine? Yeah, that's what it's that's saying That's rude. There. Also, um, that song grosses me out and I cannot Vomit Coffin? Yeah. Or, yeah, because um, yeah, it goes into Vomit Coffin. Yeah, it's... This, all of all of that part of... <laughs> um, Which is... It? Of Murder of the Universe. Like, I can't... I fell asleep on a plane while listening to Murder of the Universe and then woke up... Like sort like sort of semi woke up during that part and had a dream about it and now I cannot yeah. listen to it. So he says he converts Boogeyman Sam into a soy protein mutt machine, which is just a vomit spewing robot. Right. And inside Boogie, we see. Well, the... well, and then he connects himself to it because Boogeyman Sam is upset about becoming. Right. A vomit we machine. see that that despite his conversion, he still has depression and hates Hantaimi. For doing this, Vomit Coffin. Yes. Hantayumi then decides to try and merge with Sam, Robot Stop, and ends up vomiting across the universe, allowing him to start a new one with him as a god. Which brings us to <laughs> sketch, sketches. So after the Jesus mur- Christ. After the murder, Hantayumi reveals himself to multiple survivors, Tez- Tezata, which is the song that he appears a- yeah. on in sketches. And tries to get them to remember the time before the murder. Other survivors prepare for Hantayumi's Judgment Day countdown, which is a, another song. Like <sighs> so that's where it, I mean, I still ends. think it's very much like this. You know what it is? What the vibe is? It's Charlie Kelly. Like, <laughs> oh, Pepe yeah. Silva. Yeah, that, it's very much Pepe Silva vibe. And then it's also um, 
who was the guy that everyone's like, oh, the villain of WandaVerse is this one character in the Marvel? Morbius. That's what it was. Like, it's not no, it's not Morbius. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I can't, shit, rem- I can't, I can't remember, remember I can't remember the name. Is it Morbius? No, it's not. Not MCU? Is it MCU? I don't know. He's, Morbius is, he's it's Marvel. Morbin time. It's Morbin time. No, it was, it was, uh. It's something that sounds like Morbius. Yeah. Though, right? Yeah. Master for everyone's like, oh my god, it's this is who the Undal villain is gonna be in, like, in every single MCU thing. It's like, what if it's this one guy? And like, that's that's, that's what they, they like. thought. What's his name uh, was gonna be? Evan Peters. Yeah, yeah, Evan Peters. And not just some guy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, and and then he ends up being like some just random random person. He's just person. some guy. Yeah. No, I, I was trying to look up. Oh, Sin- is it? No, sorry, it's not Sinestro. It's no it's something Son- similar, stupid sounding to that. Yeah, because people had it on here, and then I just can't. Mephisto. That was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what this reminds me. That's the like energy something this is giving e- me. It's like something equals Mephisto constantly. Um, that's the energy this whole thing is giving yeah. For the lore, yeah, the pretty lore. much. Which, I mean, it's it's kind of wild to me that people get that into it, that they, like, analyze the song. I mean, have you seen looking... some of these fans? Yeah, yeah unfortunately, yeah. yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I waited in line with a bunch of them to get in, and it smelled real bad, and it... I was gonna say, that was the one weird. positive about them moving the shows outdoors. I texted you this, <laughs> <laughs> that it was gonna be smelling a lot better. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's move on to, um, let's talk, I think this is an interesting thing, I mean, it's obviously not related to the Gizlord, Gizlore. Gizlord. Gizlord. Um, is, I want to talk about their, like, vinyl culture and poster culture. Oh, this, this is also insane to me. Yeah, because then this kind of comes into, like, the fans, like, the obsessive fan culture, because, you know, to be able to build a universe like this that they've only semi-built themselves, but to, like, flesh it out for them obviously shows like how dedicated and obsessed their fans are and the vinyl and poster culture kind of reflects that I as mean well. you we all w- went to multiple days in Chicago like it's not just like a casual fandom like, no I know I mean, we, we're, we're all big fans but we're also like not sitting there I mean Brian is apparently <laughs> <laughs> not sitting there creating a universe for them but the the poster and vinyl culture. So you think there's fan fictions about this? Absolutely. Keep telling the story. I'm gonna um, go on Ao3. So <laughs> up until probably what 2019, a lot of their records were were pretty rare because I think they did a reissue of a lot of stuff in around 2019, 2020. Um, but their if you didn't have a record of theirs, it was fetching a high price. Like Matt has a pretty early pressing of Mind Fuzz that's worth like a couple hundred dollars just because it's an early pressing. Um, which I think is wild that, you know, the fans, is there a Han Taimi fan fiction? No, there's a, um, a reverse harem of a reader insert <laughs> that just came out in May of 2023. Wait, 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 who's in it though? Ambrose, um, and I don't know who these other people are. These people are not in the band. No, no, no. I'm... Wait, let me see. Because it no. might be like fish. No. Oh, I don't know who these people are. Well, one of these guys is from the Allman Brothers. Band. <laughs> what? That's the last name Allman. Oh, I'm not even. 
I don't know. What That's all I know. Why did that come out in May of 2023? There's the a meat cube in here, though. <laughs> um, I was just trying to see if there anyways, was, like, a lore. And the same kind of um, culture exists around their posters, where like, a day of posters will go for, like, hundreds of dollars. So, yeah, their whole poster, like, following is, like, toxic. I, I, I get it. I wanted to get one when we were at Red Rocks, and I failed. Yeah. We were uh, close, too. We were, like, I s- No, but I was still pissed. How long did you guys wait in line? We, we didn't wait that, that long. Oh, okay. We got were... there maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes before doors. Right. And it was still a long-ass line. And we mostly got there early. We, we, we were close. Back, we yeah. were close to getting a poster. We were, like, within 10 people. But they let two, like, they let you get they two. They weren't, yeah, they weren't, like, limiting, limiting people. Uh, which I think is, like, my main issue. And I, well, they I'm, corrected that. The thing I was pissed off about at that show was, like, that day, posters were showing up on eBay for hundreds Somebody of Somebody took a thousands. fucking picture on the bathroom floor of the <laughs> men's room. That's insane. Of the poster. They did it on the floor? It, somebody posted it on, on the, the Get subreddit because they posted it on, on eBay. Yeah. But it was on the men's, like, bathroom floor. Gross. At Red Rocks? At Red Rocks. That's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, and it was going for, like, hundreds of dollars. Like, one of the shows that Matt went to, I think in, like, 2019, um, I think it was at The Rib. That poster was on sale for, like, $1,000, yeah. which is, like, insane to think that people, there's a market for that. Like, their posters are sold for between 45 and $60. At that point, $60. Like, at that point there was There's a $1,000 poster from... Um, Oklahoma City in 2022. Like, what the fuck? Right? Well, that's also just somebody posting a price. Yeah. It's not like saying but, it's mean, worth it. It's but. not, but the fact that like, people think that there's a market. You have to for see that. which ones were actually sold. Because I feel like there's ones that were oh, sold. Right. And, and, and I mean, in their defense, they do I was a very cool through what I see, like, so. um, What is the guy's name that does their posters? I it's not Jason, is it? It's, it is. It's, it's Jason Galea. Um, they do really cool artwork. However, like, I wouldn't say that I'm going to go spend hundreds of dollars on a poster from a night. No, I think us being able to get these posters from the Chicago one, I also really like, I think it's one of the best ones out of this whole residency thing. Agree. Um, was probably the only time I'm going to get a poster because I'm not, I'm not going to like be chasing, uh, posters every time they're in town. Mm Mm-hmm. No, um, I agree. That's kind of like the decision that we made too. Was like, I just want one. Like, I don't want a whole house of posters. Is that the Red Rocks one from last year? No. no. Oh, well, that's a Red Rocks. One. I don't want like a whole house of posters. It's like, I oh no, want... this is this year's. Sorry, I just want one. And so, like, now that we've had the one, I have we can just one, go yeah. to the show and enjoy the show and not be like, yeah. Now, now that I have it, I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. don't need to worry about lining up early to get a poster. Yep. Someone's selling, it's not been bid on yet, but $300 for one of the salt shed. Night one salt shed. Um, the gizzard. So that week, the the posters were going for like three, four hundred dollars yeah. Um, I don't think that... The, Night two is only $80 though, so... I don't think the posters were like that rare because, and especially in this tour because they no. just did the same poster. No, they, they definitely, uh, so they kind of, so definitely the older Poster tours are going to be worth more. Oh, yeah. This tour, they printed more. They right. printed more, and then they also did the same poster with different color variants, so I think it made it... It's like, you know, 
they changed them up for each night, but it also means that there's more available of the same design. Whereas in the past, I think they did different designs for each night. Yeah. Um, I think it's because they've realized, they have to have realized, like, this is stupid. Our fans well, can't get posters that, because people like, are maybe reselling Maybe Jason's like, running out of inspiration to do a different poster every night. I'm assuming that it's got something to do with the fact that they've realized that the resale market is so out of control for some well, of these and posters. and I think that's part of the reason that they've started pressing more records right. and more bands yeah. is because it's, you know, they want, as they're growing the fan base... They want a more percentage of that fan base to be able to get these the collectibles, albums, yeah. yeah. And and I, I appreciate that. Like I, when we went to the the Red Rock show, Matt was like pissed. He was like, "Fuck them for doing that." Like, what was it? Five hundred for an eight thousand person venue? Five hundred posters? Fifteen hundred? Yeah, it was a small amount. Yeah, it was. And he was like upset. It was just like, you know, you know how many people are coming here. I think, I I mean, I was upset too. I mean, I wanted one of those posters and I never got one. And I still miss, they apparently also dropped it on, like, Gizverse too. But I I missed it on that as well, but. So, thinking of, like, the record collecting thing, though, in general, like, I feel like, I mean, maybe it's not as bad now. Yeah. But a couple years ago, like, even when they dropped, um... Butterfly 3000, and they did, like, a bunch of different variants. Like, things were sold out immediately. Yes. Yeah, so... And that one, they didn't even tell you what color you were getting, right? You're, you were selecting the language you wanted on the sleeve, and they had, like, what, three colors, and you just got one? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I, I think that the, I guess, record portion of it has kind of... I wouldn't say died down, but it's been, it's been easier to get stuff. Like, at least... Even with this latest drop for this the newest album, I was able to get the variant I wanted. Yeah. I I was on there when it dropped, but there was like no like wait or anything like that. Like yeah. there was no cra- website crash. I was still able to get what I wanted. Yeah. And I feel like it was harder like earlier to do yeah. to do that. But, but I think the band like wants you to be able to get the variant that you Yeah, I, I feel like they want that now and I don't think they ever wanted there to be like a shortage. But No, they they didn't want this like crazy competitive resale market. But it's also but expensive they... to to press value. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. it's it's Well and that's part I think that's kind of an indication though that they have an in with the pressing plant or they own one. Because they're able, I mean, they're doing these albums, like, so quick. And we know that the vinyl industry has got about a year lead time at this yeah. point. So the fact that they're able to, like, do these albums and press them and just release them, I mean, I think, I, I don't know that these albums are recorded a year in advance. I don't, I assume that they're, they're not. So, Yeah, there's I a certain think, cutoff point where you have to be like, okay, and then right. you give it so they can actually And it is them. expensive, but I think that they probably... You know, our friends or something like that that's getting them. Maybe. They definitely have connections, but yeah. It's, it's especially with like how they release stuff on the different Giz verses, mm-hmm. like the UK, yep. Australia, and the US. Yeah. It's like, yeah, ha- they have to have some type of connection. Agree. All right. How many King Gizzard records do you own? I mean, I don't know. I can check. You own. I mean, I gotta check a lot. I actually don't think I have that many. 
So that's why I was asking. I've got Are we five. Call, Are we talking like, I have repeats. Oh no, How, what repeats do you have? I have five, but I don't have any repeats. I have two Butterfly 3000s, because I, I got one oh, I can find yeah. like, on the website. And yeah. Then, um, in a record store, I found the actual one I wanted. Yeah. Um, so I bought that one. I've got, um... I have 16. I have 5. I have 13 individuals, but 14 total. I have 5 total. Um, I, so. I... I, we were, like, collecting all of them, and then, like, the 3 in month happened, and I was like, I don't want... I'm not doing this. But I did get Petro Dragon, so it's not on here yet, but... I have, yeah, I have 16... But that's incl- I, I'm still missing some some crucial ones that I still need to get, like Polly and. Um, um, I got and Polly from Newberry Comics. It was a pretty cool pressing. I think they probably still have it. I was also also don't have fishies either. Those are the two that the main two that I don't have that I need to still get. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think I saw that one. And I've got. I thought it was cool because I only have five. I can name them. And it won't be long. <laughs> I have Butterfly 3000, Fishing for Fishies, Flying Microtonal Banana, and Fest the Rat's Nest, and LW. Yeah, I could have guessed that. Yeah. (laughs) I did not order um, PDA. I will maybe eventually. Uh, I ordered PDA after Gila came out because I was like, fuck, this is great. I'm buying this. Well, it's sold out now. I mean, they'll do something else with it later. I don't care. I'll get it eventually. Um... That's one I haven't got yet, um, or it's coming in. One I'm embarrassed to say I don't own yet, and I, I, I'm I, holding out because I really like want to get a cool variant of it, is Infest the Rat's Nest. I, I got the Newberry one. It's like a clear orange-black splatter. I haven't seen that Newberry. Um, I almost bought it at a record store. It was like the puke-colored one, I think. I think it was like a puke-colored. I didn't know they had a puke-colored one. Oh, that is cool looking. Um, I don't know if it's actually puke. It was, like, kind of greenish, though. I have the original one that they sent out, which was, I think, like, a red and black one. Got it. So, that's that's the one I have Um, for Infest. Yeah, I think I'm holding out for that one. I'm holding out for a cool one for fishies. I have the Toxic Landfill one, which is, like, the green. That's, like, the one that's on, like, on, like, Amazon and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for them. I'm waiting for them to, like, do a different variant of it that's sure that's the one i have too i, I got it from rough trade or something like that um i got they released that on their website and i had bought like four when they did like the reissues because i bought that i bought microtonal um i think i just bought microtonal when they did the i think yeah i said this one it actually looks really nice in person i have oh, like I have. I have the neon yellow okay which is like one of the i think i think first variants of it which one's that one? The Toxic Landfill. For Murder, for for murder of the Universe, I think I, have, yeah, I, I, I have. think I have the Vomit Coffin one. For Murder? What's that mean? Like, what does that look like? Oh, I have that one, too. The, what does I, that look vomit like? Vomit splatter. It looks like, it looks like vomit. I don't love that. <laughs> I bought that, I think. I got it off of Vinyl Me Please, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I got this, like, at um, Amoeba. 
I'm not. A, I I'm, I don't like that. My favorite one of that album fucking creeps me out. This is the one I have. Matt has for mm. Mind Fuzz. I'm pretty like sure it. that's similar to the one I have for Mind Fuzz too. Makes sense. I have one that's expensive as well. Yeah, it's probably the same Marion then, because he got this before we started dating. Um, and then I have the radioactive one for Banana, which is just like the clear yellow. I have the new repress of Banana. This one. I like that. It looks it looks really good in person. What's the Nonagon look like? That's Matt had that before we started dating too. I have the red and black Nonagon, which is kind of like a spiral, I think. This is the one Matt has, I guess. Yeah, I have the red and black one. All right. Uh, do, how do we want to, any last thoughts we want to go through before we wrap this up and just continue to spiral talking about nonsense, King Gizzard? I don't have anything else. There's a lot we didn't cover. I feel like we could do a second episode with how much that we probably didn't cover. And by the time we do a second episode, there'll be five more albums. Um, I mean, that's just if we do one next year. Yeah. So (laughs) depending on when we get to another episode, there may be an entire 50 albums. But where do you, uh, at least, what do you think, at least for a question, where do you think they're going to release next, or like, what do you think? They're so gonna they've do? said that their um, PDA is a yin yang album. Yang, yes. A yeah, yang. I've heard that. Um, <laughs> yang yang. It's going to be a yin yang album. I <laughs> said yang yang like two yangs, like the same. Um, yeah, it's supposed to have like one that complements it musically, but completely different vibe. So, right, but people are thinking it's going to be like ska. No, <laughs> fishies part two. I think it's just going to be like a. Something like synth oriented. Yeah, I can see that. Just give me a fishies part two, and that's that's, so the, the, that's the thing. They don't do part two. I know. And well, they, they said uh, they weren't going to do a part LW, two. KGLW. That's not a part two. That's just a compliment. It's like a whole album, but they had to break it into like. Where's eighteen? Well, it's part. No, it's there's um, <laughs> explorations into microtonal tuning part one. Volume one, and then there's volume two, and there's volume three. I can show you all three of them. They all say volume one, two, and three. Yes, I know that the microtonal banana says volume one. I know that it says that. On yeah, the don't. I'll, yeah, they all KG say, and LW all... say that uh, part two and three are. Volume... I mean, I guess they're not parts, but. I mean, I think that's a part. I, I treat it as parts. I would treat that as a part. I just think that whatever's coming is probably. <laughs> <gonna> slap. Us. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably gonna be. I'm pretty sure. Probably synth, like I said, synth heavy. If not, yeah, probably. Or it could be like the Murlocs, like bluesy. You no. <laughs> How dare you? We'll see. We'll see who's right. They're gonna put out a Skull album. It's Joey's gonna, gonna, gonna be none of that. <laughs> it's just gonna be thrash. A second thrash album. But one about the world continuing, not the world ending. That's, uh, it'll that's... be about Hantaimi's world. Sure. I think this whole next one will be about rebirth. It's Hantaimi's world. We're just living in it. Well, aren't we already living in it according to this timeline? I honestly don't want... I don't remember half of it. <laughs> you already lost, Lindsay. <laughs> All I right. Mean, the timeline is something that's complicated. So. One brain cell, two of us. Stephanie's got it right now. 
Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess with that, let's uh, let's tie this up. So, um, if you enjoyed the episode, which I think we enjoyed making, so I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, however, this turns out. <laughs> um, Please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and leave us a five-star rating and maybe leave us a written review. You can also listen through the song to hear all of our social and contact information where you can talk to us there and tell us about your King Gizzard crazy-ass opinions. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else I'm supposed to say? I don't think so. Um, I think you got all of it. All right. So with that, we will see you next time. Bye. All right. That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No and. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at shittyconcertblog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.